Well, good morning to all of you. It's good to be with you this morning. Special, um, special service here this morning. Um, I don't know how closely you were paying attention to what Dad shared a minute ago. Um, it was very good, very fitting, and I'm sort of hoping you weren't paying too much attention because I, I'm sharing from the same verses. But, uh, you know, Eric said that he doesn't believe in coincidences, and uh, so I'm going to accept that, that God wanted us to, to, God wanted to highlight this passage this morning from Hebrews 10, if you want to turn there. Uh, we are celebrating what Jesus did to establish this new covenant, this new and living way. And I want us to appreciate that, and I want us to look at uh, what it means for us to walk in this living way, what we should be doing in response to it. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. I'm reading from the ESV. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These verses divide up pretty neatly. Verses 19 through 21 say, Look at what we have going for us. The phrase, since we have, occurs twice in those verses. And then verses 22 through 25 say, Here's what we need to be doing in response. The phrase, let us, occurs three times in those verses. So first we're going to look at the since we have part, and then we're going to move into the let us part. Verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. This morning we have a confidence that is only possible because of the blood of Jesus. We know that. There would be no confidence without that blood having been shed. There would only be fear and guilt the blood is the basis for the new covenant. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, this is my blood of the covenant. And in Luke, he called it new covenant, which is poured out for many. And when Jesus said those words, blood and covenant, I wonder if the disciples in their minds went back to that scene in Exodus, uh, recorded in Exodus 24, where the children of Israel had just finished promising that they would do all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses took the blood from the sacrifices and sprinkled the congregation and told them, this is the blood of the covenant, because even the first covenant required bloodshed. And so now here the disciples were hearing these words again, covenant and blood. And Jesus was preparing them for the idea of another covenant and more bloodshed. And six hours later, 
Jesus is before the Sanhedrin and is, is beaten there and the first drops of blood fall. About six hours after that, Jesus' blood sprinkled the ground again when Pilate had him beaten. And I'm assume, assuming the blood continues to run. And maybe three or so hours after that, Jesus was crucified and the blood ran again from four, four fresh wounds. And he continued to drip blood for three to six hours, maybe, while he hung on the cross. And then he died. So less than a day after he told his disciples uh, that this is the blood of the new covenant, his blood was poured out and he died. And in the temple, the 60, they say maybe 60 foot curtain, pretty big curtain, was torn from top to bottom, completely ruined, and the way to the Holy of Holies was wide open. And as we look at verse 20, it says, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And so that curtain, which was torn to make the way open, represents Jesus' body, his, his flesh, which was also torn for us to make the way open. So we have confidence this morning because of the blood of Jesus, that's the first since we have. And the second one is since we have a great high priest. We have two great works going for us. The one is the work that Jesus completed on earth, the perfect sacrifice. And the other work is the high priest. That's an ongoing work. Jesus, our perfect high priest, who knows our weaknesses and is there to defend us as our advocate. So if we look back at these first few verses, we see that, that God has put into place uh, the perfect solution for man's problem. He has provided a way for us to be right with him and to walk in closeness with him. And it's perfect. It's a perfect way, a new and living way. And when you look at, at how badly God and Jesus wanted us to be in harmony with him and to be close to him, it should produce confidence and eagerness in us. So what should we be doing about this new and living way? How should we be responding to it? And these next few verses say what we should do. And, and what we absolutely must do. And I'm going to call these next three things, I'm going to call them must-haves. I don't know if you're familiar with the term must-have um, in software development. I'll try not to use too many illustrations from my world at work. But in software development, when we're talking to a customer, about some new piece of, um, some new web application or whatever, there are some things that they talk about that they must absolutely have. Of course, they think they must have everything, but there will be some things they absolutely must have to get their job done. And then there's some other things over here that it would be nice to have that would make their jobs easier, but aren't absolutely required to do their job. And so we tend to divide things and prioritize based on must have and nice to have. These three things we're talking about this morning are not nice to have, they're must-haves for us as Christians. They're absolutely necessary if we're going to survive as Christians. Right after these three things are introduced to us, the writer tells us the likely, maybe the only possible outcome of not doing them, which is 
For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice. So after introducing these three things, he, he follows up with a, with a um, pretty terrible alternative. So here's the first must-have. The first must-have is let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does it mean to draw near? Um, to answer that question, or before we answer it, we need to first look at these two phrases that start with, with, because they tell us about the state we need to be in before we can draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith. Uh, you can't draw near if your heart is doubting. If you're suspicious about the goodness of God, drawing near is not going to work. That's what he says in Hebrews 11.6, where he says, those who draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The second with clause is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Before we can draw near, there has to be some preparation. There has to be cleansing. Don't, don't try to draw near with an unwashed heart. It won't work. The Old Testament tells us how the priests had to be prepared before they could serve in the tabernacle. It's a pretty good picture. The, the priests were Aaron and his sons, of course, and they were supposed to serve God in the tabernacle, which had just been put together. When Moses broke the news to the Aaron and his sons that they were supposed to serve in there, uh, they didn't just say hooray and rush off into the tabernacle and get busy. There were some steps that needed to be taken first. Moses was supposed to wash them with water and dress them in these priestly garments and sprinkle them with blood and sprinkle them with anointing oil. All this had to happen before Aaron and his sons could draw near. Uh, God is not any less holy than he was back in the days of the Old Testament. And, and so we too need to be prepared before we can draw near. So before you draw near, have faith and a clean conscience. If you feel like you just can't get close to God, those two areas would be the places to start your investigation as to why. We haven't answered the question, what does it mean to draw near? Because the writer is saying faith and a clean conscience need to be in place first. Uh, I would like to point out that while we often do come to God for uh, forgiveness and mercy, I don't think that's what the writer is emphasizing here when, he, when he's talking about drawing near. Uh, because he's saying, now that you have faith, now that you have been washed, draw near. And so that tells me something that's, that's pretty, I guess, obvious. It should be obvious to all of us that as, as amazing as it is to be forgiven, it really is not the final goal. Um, sometimes we act that way, like, I just want to be forgiven, and that's all I'm kind of worried about. Bear with me as, as I imagine what this would have looked like back in the Old Testament when, when Moses was working with those new priests. Uh, Moses, let's imagine, has carefully followed the instructions to get Aaron and his sons ready. 
they've done the sacrifices, they've sprinkled them with blood. He's had Aaron and his sons washed. They put on the holy garments. They're about ready to go into the tabernacle. But Aaron suddenly says, hang on. You know, Moses, I just really appreciate all the work that you've gone to. And these new clothes, Egyptian cotton, I guess, they're just great. And uh, it is just great to have all those years of sweat and grime washed off of me and be all cleaned up. I feel great, but um, I really need to get over to the oasis, the, the fish are biting. And uh, maybe Nadab and Abihu say something like, well, you know, I really appreciate all the work you've done for us, Uncle Moses, but... Um, you know, there's this marble tournament that's going on in the camp, and second round of the marble tournament, Issachar versus Naphtali, really just don't want to miss this. And, and so they head off. And they uh, make their excuses and leave and don't go into the tabernacle at all. Uh, Moses, I'm sure, would have been dumbfounded. I mean, what, what's wrong with you guys? I went all this work so that you could get close to God. And, and uh, that was the whole point. You're not even going to step into the tabernacle? So it would be just as, as unnatural for us to receive forgiveness and then go about our daily lives with minimal interaction with God. Draw near is, is, a, is a simple Greek word. It, word, it means approach. In, in the Expositor's Greek New Testament, it says, let us keep approaching. So maybe it has an ongoing tense. In the Old Covenant, Aaron and his sons needed to draw near so that they could fulfill their obligation of worship and service. That's what they did in the temple. It's kind of the same thing for us today. We're drawing near to God to worship Him and in surrender to say, Lord, here I am. Uh, different expressions for this in the New Testament. I think, I think walking in the Spirit. I think abiding in the vine. I think those are different ways of expressing this kind of drawing near. Continually presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. I think it means having the kind of relationship with God that leads us to pray things like, hallowed be your name, or my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, or give us this day our daily bread, or here I am, Lord, send me, or your kingdom come, your will be done. And I wonder, do you find yourself talking to God like that? Would this be a common kind of expression for you to, to make toward God? Um, not saying that you would necessarily use exactly those words like, here I am, Lord, send me. But do you find yourself longing for God and crying out for him and, and asking him regularly, what do you want from me? This is the first must-have. It's, it's drawing near to God. The second one is hold fast to your hope. And I'm going to do a... Uh, I'm going to imitate Calvin here. I need a tissue. So uh, somebody could get me a Kleenex. That would be great. The second must-have is hold fast to your hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is at least the third time in this book 
that the writer has challenged his readers to hold on using words like hold fast or hold firm. And when I think about holding on, I think about David's testimony in Psalm 40 where he said, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And in a sense, that is what God has done for us and is what he is still doing for us. He is lifting us up out of a miry bog. And his job is to get us out, and our job is to hang on. And I think he's even helping us hang on. But there is pressure to loosen that grip. And it, it comes in bad times and good times. How do we hold fast? The verse ends with, for he who promised is faithful. That says why you should hold fast. I think it also says how you should hold fast by looking at, focus on this part. He who promised is faithful. What did he promise us? In, in Hebrews 4, he, he mentions the promise of entering his rest. That's the heavenly home. Thanks. I'm well stocked. Hebrews 4 talks about the promise of entering his rest. That's, that's, that's the final goal, right? Hebrews 6 talks about God's promise to Abraham. I will bless you greatly. We inherit that promise. Hebrews 6 also says that when we lose sight of that hope, it results in sluggishness. So we need to keep that hope, those promises in focus. Uh, if God is pulling you out of the miry pit, but you've forgotten that the pit is miry, or you've forgotten that he's actually getting you to solid ground, that's the point, Hanging on gets really hard when you forget those facts. I mean, why hang on if what you need isn't really on the other end? I've, I've never had an encounter with quicksand, but I think I used to think I was in quicksand back when I was a kid wading in the swampy areas down near Mom and Dad's Creek. And, uh, you know, when your boot goes in and it just doesn't come out, and then your other boot is in and it doesn't come out, you, know, you feel pretty desperate, especially if you've uh, recently read... The Hound of the Baskervilles, and you remember what happened to the bad guy at the end of it. But uh, if I was in real quicksand, I'm pretty sure that hanging on would be my sole focus. And uh, I would not forget about, about what the point of hanging on to the rope was. Spiritually speaking, that's what we need to remember. We're being drawn out of the miry pit. That's what he's promised to do. And we also need to remember that he is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Eric mentioned his constancy. He doesn't change. He's not going to let go of the rope because he's changed. <clears throat> he's not going to change. Um, we should know from personal experience that God has been faithful. Uh, almost... Pretty much all of us are old enough, many of us are old enough to have had some, some hard times in our lives. And when we look back at those times, we should recognize that God got us through those. Yes, we had to hang on, but God was the one who pulled us through the mud. Here, just a few verses later in this chapter of Hebrews, 
the, the writer reminds his readers, look back on those times. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's a good thing to look back on hard times, and so long as we're not giving ourselves the credit for getting through them, to look back on the hard times and recognize that God got us through. He is faithful, and, and He will stay faithful because He doesn't change. That's the second must-have. We must hold fast to our hope. The third one has to do with each other. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. Sometimes we use the word consider in a very nonchalant way. If my wife asks me to change Grayson's diaper and I say, I'll consider it, that's probably not the answer she's looking for. It, it, it may mean I will do it. It may mean I won't. It may even mean I'll think of an excuse. excuse. It's very nonchalant. When I was asked to serve in Romania, I think I probably said something like, I'll consider it, which is a different meaning altogether. It means I'm going to think seriously about this option, and I did. The writer is encouraging us to do some serious thinking here about how to encourage each other. The word is used also by Jesus, the, the same root word is used by Jesus, over when he says, um, consider the lilies of the field. In other words, pay attention to that, think about that, and draw some conclusions. What are we supposed to be thinking about? How to stir up each other to love God more, how to motivate each other to serve more, maybe even how to steer each other away from sin, because that's the next subject in the next verses. How can we help each other more? We need to be, that should be a, a, a major goal of ours, a pursuit of ours, is encouraging each other. And there are lots of different ways that we can encourage each other, and, and I don't have time to go into all the details of how that might, what that might look like, but most of them involve what the writer is focusing on, which is spending time together. We need each other in this new and living way. We need relationships, and we need um, to be encouraging each other and speaking to each other's lives. You know, we, we talked about these first two things, drawing near and holding fast. I think this third one, even though, you know, the first two you might say, well, those are more kind of me and God focused. Well, this third one is, is and you can say, well, this third one is about us. But really, the, this third one is about, is what, what can help us in these first two areas. We can help each other in drawing near and holding fast. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 12, says, Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The way to fail this third must-have is to stop interacting with each other and just neglect it. And, you know, when the writer says, don't neglect to meet together, it's because that neglect has the opposite effect of stirring up. It's discouraging. Um, so please believe that, that uh, we need to spend time together in church and out of church also. We need to spend time with church people. This is the third must-have. We need to draw near. We need to hold fast. We need to stir up each other. We need to be considering how to encourage each other. Since we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus and a great high priest, we have a new and living way. It's, it's perfect. It's prepared for us. It's wide open, ready for us to go into these holy places and be walking in this new and living way. The three must-haves are drawing near to God. It means pursuing His presence, walking with Him, um, being, coming to Him in worshipful surrender. And then hold fast to your hope. Don't make room for doubt. Remember the promises. Remember the faithfulness of the one who is drawing you out of the miry pit. And then finally, we need to stir up each other. Let's consider how we can encourage each other and help each other walking in this new and living way. The new and living way was not designed for lone rangers. We need each other. And so let's keep this. Let's keep this inside. Let's let's keep our. Um, let's be appreciative and and um, be worshipful as we look at this new new and living way. And let's also be engaged in it and walking in it and uh, responding to this these challenges of what it means to be walking in it. God bless you.